Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. I'll turn it over to you real quick if you want to kind of introduce yourself for those that don't know you and what are you up to in this industry? Yeah, it's so good to be here with you. I know we, we run into each other in random states at events and high five and go woman power, team power, collaboration. And it's so good to be here. I, I can give you like a kind of a, a two minute summary yeah. of who I am and what, what happened Perfect. here. Well, and I'm um, kind of curious, Franny, what brought you into the hemp industry? Like, I'm curious, what's your background and what, what did you do before this? So, Cliff Notes, long story as short as I can, I grew up, my dad was a cattle farmer, my mom, corporate finance. Okay. And so I kind of got the best of both worlds, grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, you know, all girls school because I was a little bit of a rebel rouser and left this, you know, setting in Nashville to go to forestry school out West. Uh, when I was there, one of my projects, I read the book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes. I mean, blinders came off. I was already tipped. You know, I was like, oh, wake up at 18. I was like, this is nothing. The real world's nothing like they told me. And fast forward again, forestry school. I fought fires in New Mexico and Idaho, rode my dat bike for three months down the West Coast and ended up landing in grad school and education okay. after forestry. Then I moved, I taught school for six years, have a Smithsonian Institute, PhD coursework, all this stuff, and then got into pharmaceuticals. For over 12 years, yes, I decided I needed to pay off a $40,000 forestry school debt. Yes. So got into pharmaceuticals. I mean, my whole dream, my whole life was to have a farm. And after about 10 years in pharmaceuticals, I was so sick of the, quote, unhealth care industry. I was famously known in the region as the hippie in high heels amongst the doctors. <laughs> doctors and all I could say is pharma to farm, F-A-R-M. This is BS, unhealth care, bought my farm. We're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. It was raw land, built everything on that. The event center, which is a barn house and cabins. It's open to the public so people can actually come see my farm in Asheville, call it the bowl of heaven. So about five years into that, I was like, I had to get out of pharmaceuticals. I ended up quitting my job was already teaching poultry. I helped get poultry legalized in Asheville over 20 years ago in the city and was teaching when I saw Ben Rasco with a little card table, like a 70s fold-up card table that's with a poster board that said, let farmers grow hemp. And that was in 2015. So joined that coalition to get 100,000 signatures, $200,000, partner with a university and get the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Pilot Program moving in our state. We were the fifth state to come online out of all the United States to grow. 
So I became, unbeknownst to me, until after I had planted, harvested, and had a festival, that I was the first female farmer in North Carolina, the 11th female in the country outside of everybody had only been in universities. Okay. And ended up with featured farmer for Hemp History Week, which was part of what moved us into federal legalization. I got to represent small-scale farmers across the entire U.S., at that national press conference when the farm bill passed first person to do a Ted talk on hemp as a crop, the only crop that can feed clothes, shelter and provide medicine. So here I am seven years later and we are vertically integrated. We have manufacturing distribution, three corporate offices out of Asheville, North Carolina. We franchise are in six States. We've applied for THC licenses in Connecticut, and bada boom, bada bang. There we go. So much I'm to unwrap. <laughs> I'm impressed. Okay, so I want to kind of dive in, right? You mentioned a couple of things, you know, and especially your scale and growth. I'm curious, especially being a woman in agriculture and the shift that we've seen, you know, for more women leading in agriculture. Can you talk a little bit about what your experience has been in the scaling process and your growth process? Yeah, and I'll start with the end in mind because I think it's a really good business strategy. And my stance has always been to grow my business like a plant with strong roots. And it's more about profitability and success from mission and values and profitability than it is about expansion. So we see we're one of the only companies that franchises. Two other ones went out there. They open 600 stores each, mm-hmm. and they have since closed over 60% of either one of those. Mm-hmm. I have never taken this approach as a get rich quick type of thing. And the only and I don't know anybody's gotten rich yet, just letting everybody know. I, was just saying, I don't know anybody that's been rich off of this, <laughs> this industry just yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a real passion for what we are doing to check. We're doing what nobody's done before. So the reason I'm vertically integrated, quite honestly, is because when I was the first, there was no other way to do it. And my expertise at that time coming from pharmaceuticals, I had spent rotations in manufacturing for over a decade. I have done nothing but business plans and territory management and spreadsheets. I came from corporate America and training. So I was, I had the skill set, but I also had that agricultural piece. I always say born a farmer, die a farmer. I have 10 green thumbs. I've had a garden every year since I was eight, anywhere from a vegetable garden to acres upon acres on my farm. So we're, this is a real critical time. We saw the mass expansion and then the year or two of the pause in COVID. And now we're seeing collaborations. As we know, big business is sitting in the lurks waiting to restream line efficiencies and productivity and profitability in this industry. And so we're always constantly adapting. And because we've been able to stay small, we've been able to do that. You know, small in some people's terms, big in other people's terms, right? And That's why we're vertically integrated. Now we look at things differently. 
our farm where we grew the four years, everything that came off our product line came out of my farm. But in that, we partnered with NC State Research. We trained, educated, and developed a program where we have other farmers doing that. And now my farm is able to open back up to the public with a hemp history tour and different plants and different stages. It's educational. We do the goat yoga. It's There's lots of yoga, health and wellness, tours, lodging stays, and our farm can really open back up to the public. We had to close that for three years. So now we're getting back into that mission piece. So I think the ability to expand and contract with strong roots is the foundation of how a business needs to be built. 100% agree. I love love the idea of going into this to be successful and stable. Like you said, building the roots and the foundation is so critical. And it's what we prevent or how we're going to prevent this ebb and flow or this boom and bust you know, with this growth phase, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about the Southeast. You'd mentioned it's an untapped area, right? Untapped territory. Talk, why and how and where should we in the industry be paying attention? Oh, it is intense. Okay, I've been on ABC, NBC, Fox, and CBS in the last five weeks because of all the stuff legislatively that's going on here. I know. Okay. It's not super glam, okay? It's it's the tough part. Who's willing to be the dirt farmer in the ground digging through this and growing the plant? That's me legislatively and what we're doing. So the Southeast is amazing untapped potential because hemp is federally legal. We have medicinal that's starting to pass in some of these states. I mean, I say the Southeast plus Florida, that's where our new franchises are being built out. Okay. And Connecticut. So we're kind of Connecticut, we file for THC license. This is the example. We are strategically going in states. This is why only 10% of our franchise inquiries even meet eligibility for places that we want to invest our time, energy, and resources. Mm-hmm. because of the future path and where they're going. So we're seeing each one of these states into the path of legalization. We set up with dispensaries there. We're already vertically integrated. We're collaborating more and more each franchisee with a grower in their area to build their own local stories. And so as we roll in, we're the first people to be able to transition with a brand. So we already have amazing, amazing brand with great products in great categories, and we're expanding just that as it. And I keep telling hemp is the deal. It is the real deal. People say, are you going to do the real thing when it comes along? I'm like, hemp is the real thing. Okay? <laughs> Marijuana is for recreational and medicinal. Mm-hmm. Hemp can feed, clothe, shelter, and provide medicine. It is good for your pets and your children. Mm-hmm. And I'm so one of the greatest accomplishments here had really nothing to do with me other than making introductions between our school system and a physician that and parents that were willing to test this CBD in their kids to see in Asheville City Schools where we live, where I taught for six years is the first school district in the entire country to deregulate and remove CBD from the restricted drugs list. Good. And it was all nothing more than emails. It's like y'all meet and see. 
So hemp, I believe, really is the real deal. That's where the fiber, that's where the food is. These are two new avenues that are in our current dispensary models and expanding. They have a Franny's Cafe, Chakra Teas, grown by herbalists from our farm. Yeah, I love this. Lemon lavender cookies that have lavender flowers on them from the farm. This is how we put the farm, F-A-R-M, and Franny's Pharmacy. Really, I work for a plant. That's all I can say. I'm the boss of nothing. I have a boss. (laughs) It's an interesting relationship. I have a lot of respect. But she is the boss. She's the boss. I totally agree with you. You're not the only person that says that. There's another young lady that travels all over and she's working with countries on developing plans for their countries. And she says the same thing. I have one boss. Can't miss. (laughs) That's it. She wins. That's awesome. Okay. So talk about the investment side a little bit, right? I, I think this is a part that's been really uneasy and unsettling for people getting into the business and or looking to expand as to, know how and why and what do we get into can you talk from both being in the industry as well as from the outside perspective of how do you spot good investment yes super great question and so important this is why the only way i believe to actually and truly succeed is to see the success in others otherwise it's just ego Yes. So the retail side of the supply chain is one of the most profitable, without a doubt. And it is very hard for people to get into that side mm-hmm. because it's not business as usual. Mm-hmm. I had had 11 businesses. I've been restaurants, developments, all this stuff. It's not business as usual. That is why I spent two years developing a franchise model and a system versus going and opening a ton of franchises and trying to figure it out along the way. You know, <laughs> when we talk about uh, profitability, the retail side is, is very, is very profitable. So what type of investment does it take? It depends. Are you doing it alone? Are you doing it in a franchise model? Because if you do it alone, you can bootstrap it. You can spend a hundred K to go find a lease and open your own place. You're going to have to source a lot of things that, are hard to source in cannabis because you know this as well as I and anybody in this business, you don't bank as usual insurance, credit card processing, even your website, try to build an e-com site. So this is where we really set up a lot of that. So for close to the same investment, you do it yourself. You could plug into a system. It's already set. That is set up that walks you through every step, ongoing training, and you're part of a community. Now, to be part of the Franny's community, there's all sorts of interesting criteria, but partner with somebody. I always, always, always say, get find a mentor. And this is we're now in a situation where we can and don't invest all your money. It's better to grow slow than to put everything. We see the biggest demise in a lot of companies is they put tons of money in marketing with their flashy shirts and their great hats. That's not a consumable product built on health and wellness. And that's the foundation of this industry. So the outside needs to reflect the inside. What okay. are you doing it for? The flashing glamour and marketing and your ego and look what I can do and hope everybody buys into it. 
Are you on the inside digging in, working for that plant, figuring out how to destigmatize it by helping other people? Mm-hmm. That's how you grow a business. That's where the real investment is. There's no get rich quick. You have to help people. Well, and I think this is this is where the plant has its value, right? I had an awesome opportunity. I was assigned six MBA students from a local uh, university here, which I'm incredibly stoked about because until yesterday, they had no idea what hemp was. When they picked up the hemp seed bag and looked at the amount of protein and omega fatty acids and things in it, he was mind blown. And he said, as we were leaving, one of the students said, as we were leaving, I am taken back by the value that sits in front of me that I would have never picked up and touched because of the stigma that is around this plant. Now, being in Utah, we have a lot of return missionaries. So I feel like I struck gold working with these students because they're younger, up and coming business that have a whole new perspective on opportunity. And when I was approaching this with them, it really was all about we are going to build a processing facility that is going to help local businesses shrink their supply chain, increase profits, create a better product feed their animals better, house their people better. This We're not doing this to get rich scheme, right? We're doing this with the mindset that we really are looking to help people. And we have this solution, even if it's not just the health and wellness side. I look at healthy homes and the opportunity that we have to give our tribes here in Utah or around the world a more sustainable, healthy house and home. And so I love that you said yeah. this fits back to why I got into this is I felt once I figured out what hemp was and how infuriated I was knowing that the plastics and the hemp market crossed, you know, hemp went like this as plastics really started to scale. And this whole time we've had this solution. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to hear you say that because I I do. I think that that's what we need to be careful about. But I also see this is where the challenge is in getting capital because you do still have this mindset of, well, what, what's in it for me and how big is the profit and what can I do? And that came up even in conversation yesterday saying like, well, then what's the value? You know, why should we do this? If it's more expensive, how are we going to get over that hump? So let's talk about that for a minute. Please. Demand is what creates the supply. Yes. And consumers will always, we remember when smart TVs came out, yes. paying $10,000. They're always the initiators and the adopters. And there's not that much of a price discrepancy and using right. hemp as there is any high-end building material. <laughs> Behind me, I would like to show you, these are yes. made of hemp wood, which is a business in all our franchise models. We have incorporated hemp wood in the design as part of the education. And also I became a dealer so I can help other people get access to this. I love it. And that's what we're doing renovations on our farm. And this is what we're doing because they brought, Oh, we can go down so many rabbit holes with all the things hemp could do. Oh yes. Well, and I even said that. There will be profitability in it. And it yes. is on a small scale. It's a boutique product right now. Yeah. And what we're doing with Hempwood is actually, I've got the demand. I've got the market. We have manufacturing. And what we're missing in the industry is the middleman that can bring that product to the people. So our custom cabinet makers are starting to streamline 
these design models we have in our franchises so that people eventually will be able to also order them and duplicate that. Yes. So this is like some of the investment and we're, and you're right. Grants are not super readily available, but I tell you what, they're coming. They're coming. We love to follow what Forbes does, right? So cannabis was hot. Everybody jumped in. NFTs hot. That's a hot topic right now. They just released last week. Regenerative ag is where it's at. So there are people that want these products. Our farm is a basis for regenerative ag. We home two nonprofits that it's genius. I invite anybody just go to our website for the farm and come stay, experience it. And like you were saying, these master students, mm-hmm. they oh, did. Well, I, would love, I would love to bring them out. In fact, I'm going to bring them to the Kansas event with Melissa so that they can see raw material processing or farm trials, things like that. But I would love to come out. We were just talking about this offline, but come out and stay. I want to see. I want to experience the farm. And yeah. Well, girl, we need to align that when we're finishing out. Greg is going to be there. We're actually going to do, um, I have a cabin that we're going to build in Hemphlet. Awesome. I tried to get so I dropped Greg's samples off yesterday to the builder of one of the big school buildings with the university oh. arguments because same things. As soon as those students figured out what we could do, they were like, yo, whoa, talk to, let's go. <laughs> yeah. And so same it's thing. so innovative. And what's missing is that middle, mm-hmm. the middle part. Yeah. Who's going to, who can take a manufactured product into a custom product that is actually packaged and available to the consumer beyond just custom. So we're bringing the customization, but that takes nobody's nobody's showing up to throw in money for that because the money is long-term on the other end after all the investments been made. But that's what entrepreneurs do. That's what we do. Yes. We invest okay, so in a dream. You had mentioned that there's some criteria and about 10% of inquiries end up with a franchise, right? Through your organization. Can you talk a little bit about who fits into that box? Who is the perfect person or criteria to get involved with Franny Pharmacy, Franny's Pharmacy? So this is a really good question. 10% will meet the eligibility. There's a lot of states that we're not even going to like Idaho right now. If you only have isolate, not a really good place, then on top of all the political Stuff that just not a state we want to do business in. So we look at where the real opportunity is. So they're kind of graded in a way cool. for opportunity zones. So it's all based on that. Are you in an opportunity zone? Within that opportunity zone, do you meet the financial criteria? You've got to have, you know, you need to have about two hundred thousand dollars to have your opening operating first quarter expenses and be set to thrive. Another thing is, you know, we do all sorts of surveys and screens on personalities. Do you fit the personality profile? What are your individual goals and mission? What is driving you there? And then we have a discovery day where anybody to even be eligible, you have to come to Asheville, stay at the farm, have a farm tour, Go to our greenhouse at Indoor Grow and meet the growers in the cleanhouse greenhouse operation. Visit distribution, manufacturing, and all three of our corporate stores. 
So these are the criteria you've got to meet before you're even eligible. And I'm so happy to say that the people that are aligned with us are so dynamic. We have two pharmacists that happen to be franchise owners. Why? They're about as OCD, about data, COAs, the product, the quality, amazing representatives for our brand. And one's in Hickory, North Carolina, works for the hospital. The other one just opened an alphabet. Actually, the grand opening is in July next month. And she retired from 30 years at a major pharmacy Pharmaceutical, chain. yeah. Pharmacy chain. We have somebody else that had been in business development, an African-American veteran in Augusta. We have a female that came from high-end design background that's out of Charlotte, getting a lot of press lately. Fun. And then in Warrington, Virginia, we have somebody that was a marketing director for a natural foods business. So these people are aligned with the brand and the strategy and they're leaders to help as we, they're all politically involved. They all have very professional backgrounds. They're all aligned with a bigger mission to destigmatize cannabis, bring in the children, the pets and the health and wellness theme. They've all agreed to expand into the fiber and food as that becomes more available, which is going to be rolling out this quarter. These, this is the eligibility. And then once you're eligible, there's still, you know, an FDD, a franchise disclosure documents, 169 pages, have fun with that. And two weeks of silence. And then, I mean, it's a long term and it's not happening quick. Just getting real estate and finding a location that allows cannabis with a national brand. Most of these, we're all about a locations. It could take three months to Augusta. It took him, God bless him, nine months. To get the white box. He'd been that invested for the long term. And that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. I think you said it so well. And, and I go back to my experience alone. I'll speak for myself. I've been at this for three years now. You've been at this significantly longer. And we're still working at it like it's a startup. Like this is our first day. This is a long term play. We are not coming in to build a facility and walk away a year later with an exit plan. This really is about that long-term impact. And so I think that too plays a big role in investment and finding the right investors. Can you talk about some of the do's and don'ts as you're seeking capital and crowdfunding? Yes. So we, we did crowdfunding is not quite what it used to be. We were the first people in the country that launched a crowdfunding campaign Okay. And we raised about half a million dollars in 48 hours. It was, I mean, hot. That's awesome. I, I was like, woo. That's how we opened our distribution center. Okay. Which allowed, that was the next step after our three corporate stores to allow wow. franchising and to move into that model. Did another one in manufacturing, raised a couple hundred thousand dollars for some equipment to increase efficiencies and decrease costs. Yeah. It's not the same as it used to be. It's not as effective. You're still looking at your family and friends to do it. Mm -hmm. Just saying. And because it's regulated by the FDIC, you are looking at lots and lots of work and you better have a CFO and know your QuickBooks to be able to do something like a crowdfunding campaign. Investors, 
This is where we're very interesting. This is a new thing. This is what's happening right now in the year of collaborations, I've said. I have investor groups, opportunities, venture capitalists coming inquiries every week. Okay. This is what they're looking for. Pennies on the dollar for somebody else to run the business. They're not looking to get in and activate it. They want a large portion for a little amount of money and somebody else doing all the work and answering to them. Well, guess what? That does not make a good partner for me because I have a brand and it's my voice. This is good opportunity for the millions of people out there right now that are thinking of opening their own little CBD store. I'm going to be a marijuana store. I'm going to make a million dollars. Yeah. And be taxed at 40%. It is so important to know your business. Most people in this business, 75% clearing. And since this year of everybody that was in this business, because they don't know the business, it's not business as usual. You're not going to forecast and project. Be realistic and create what you want, but it's, it's something different. So again, 10% of the inquiries are even people that I would engage with, but I have pitch decks. I'm always talking to people and I take the time to let them know what this industry is because somebody needs to educate. Somebody needs to educate. And this is right as in the next week, I have three presentations to do for venture capitalists, Oregon Institute with Uh, a whole bunch of legislators there as well because it's got a regenerative ag focus and then another investment group. They all want in. They're like, you've got franchising. They all want in. Let me me tell you nothing, but about the framework of the industry you're, you want to enter you business people, not in cannabis. Yes. Yes. That's exactly it. Right. We're shifting to this. It's real business and it's, big business that's coming to the table. Okay, so I have a question along that line with the recession that's potentially coming, right? Whether, and and I hear both sides. I'm curious from you where you see that affecting our industry. And I'll give you a little perspective that I see coming from the tech space. Utah is very tech heavy. And so capital shift, I think will benefit our industry. But I'm curious from you, you know, how do you see this benefiting and or hurting the growth of our industry? It, it really depends on what segment you're in. You're in. I mean, costs are outrageous as franchise company that is scouting real estate in six states right now. Real estate is outrageously expensive and they're, you know, they're trying to recover from COVID. We all know that a recession, you can say if we're in it or if it's coming, whatever we all know, we can face what the current economic situations are Mm -hmm. that are tough. And there's always pros and cons. Not necessarily. It depends on where you are in the business. Unfortunately, it does hurt retail. It it hurts retail in a lot of ways. This is is why we have e-commerce and we give our franchises their own e-commerce awesome. that they can promote and have multiple ways. This is one of, this is pro- progressive. I think and from a higher level of business, we're going to be moving from just transactional business to transformational yes. business. 
Yes. This is back to what we're saying about the collaborations and how people are pulling together to focus on profitability for the first time instead of just this growth. Transact the days of just transactional business. I have this, you pay me for advertising, I do this. No more. And Nobody I also is buying that bullshit anymore, man. I totally agree. I, I said well, that too. What's happening? We're shifting from transaction to relationship. I, we yeah. have to be or, or collaboration. I love where you put it to the collaboration piece because I do. I think that this is what do we all contribute to the end goal and what is our, our role and our piece in that project or in that specific. So business. my market, I mean, it depends on where you are in the market, but we focus, focus, focus. Our consumers are conscientious consumers. We because and I'm a female woman owned business. And there is nobody else out there that's got a voice and a CEO and a name on a business like me. So I'm counting on no matter what happens, these are our strong roots. I stand for everything we do, a brand that people can trust because it's unregulated. You and I both know when the FDA pulled 84 samples, 26 even had plus or minus 20% variants of what they said on the package. Not only can people... I mean, I'm just so transparent, been in the press 90 times, not because of anything that I do, because of what we do in our company for yes. the land and for the message and for education, all these value-added things that are not direct profit generators. Totally. It's a mission. Totally. And I'm telling you, recession-proof. And it's where the real impact is. It's the real value, right? We had this conversation again yesterday about, we were talking about, you know, what are the hurdles to get over as we scale the industry locally and price or cost, you know, and my response was going back to, let's look at the whole picture. You know, when we're buying a product only based on its dollar value and not the entire impact from the land to the people or even further back, to, you know, from seed to soil, basically back to, to the land, where we're not considering that. And I think that this paradigm shift comes with this collaboration and awareness and this need for transparency. So I have to give kudos back to you in this transparency piece, because that's what our consumers want. It's what's driving our market and understanding, you know, is their product, how is it made? Is it ethically sourced? What's the impact that it has outside of just on them, but on everybody else that it touches? And so I think it's amazing. And I think this is where hemp really has a play is to be able to do just that. Yeah. So that is part of the reason super exciting that we're launching pasta and prana, okay. which is our hemp pasta so that we can continue some of this like educational component of hemp as a superfood. Let's just take out CBD, THC, all of that stuff and talk about other things that are value added. And so I'm so super, I mean, honor, I have damn deserve it. I can tell you that <laughs> where, where we are and, you know, getting to bring this out into the world. I mean, this yeah. hemp pasta, it is remarkable. And this is a woman, I do not eat pasta. I did not eat pasta before a couple of years ago, but just the conscientious consumer continue. I mean, people freak out. We took it to NOCO up in Denver and we're handing out little packages and people were eating it, freaking out. 
we're like, you've got to get this in the market. So we're finally about there, but that's been, you know, $100,000 in four years worth of research and product development just to launch it on a small scale. Yeah, well, and that's just it, right, is the cost that it takes. We were kind of commenting on the amount of lab tests or applications that have need to be submitted just for grain for animal feed, let alone, you know, the approval phase is just, it's a lot and it's very costly. And so keeping that into perspective or putting that into perspective when we're developing products that, so that was going to be my next question for you is where do you see real opportunity? I think that you know, or I guess what what is this opportunity look like as it opens up on the food and nutrition side? You're doing pasta, but I feel like the U.S. really shot their bow or their arrow in the wrong direction and by not focusing on the food and nutrition side first. And so I'm kind of curious from you, you know, what's our time frame to really be a, a common statement? Well, Again, let's start with the end in mind. Don't expect the FDA to do a damn thing this year. Okay? I sat on a board to represent hemp and the education for over a year. took them about six months to honor my request to be removed from it. Because guess what? Nobody knew anything more a year later than when we started. And the frustration, I was like, hello. I say the same thing every time. I mean, torture to get that. We need to look at this as an ingredient, as an ingredient. This is where I really align. Bob Hoban uh, is an attorney out there. Super aligned with him. He's like, come on people. This is an ingredient. But I came from the pharmaceutical industry and I know just so happened. I got my farm when Epidiolex went into phase one trials. Oh, that's a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Just like when I was on the news in Connecticut when they passed medical and when they and recreational. Oh, not no, not a coincidence. I hope I'm just not way too fashion forward in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is there's going to be a ton of opportunity, but we have got to get federal re- regulations. They go back and forth. Now we've got big business interjecting their opinions. And across this country, we have many states that have now passed medical, but the biggest medical companies that get those licenses, they're looking at tens of millions and millions of dollars Mm -hmm. just to follow the regulations, to be vertically integrated, to grow open greenhouses according to standards. It takes a couple of years. By then, recreational's right behind it. And as soon as recreational comes into any state with medical, it cannibalizes the profits. So these big businesses do not want to go in and spend $50 million to launch a medical program unless they're going to be the ones to transition into recreational. Nobody wants the medical to transition into recreational. They're like, you can't do that. That's big business. This is a business for the people, by the people. We created it. It's Ill, it's legal now because of what we, the people, did. Yes. Not those damn big businesses. Okay? Yeah. yeah. They have actually prohibited and prolonged some of the legalization. We are cannibalizing within our own industry because yes. medical wants recreational too. Yes. No. 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 <laughs> That's not how it needs to happen. Yeah. I totally agree. So, yeah. 
I just went down. Woo, girl. Get out, get out. <laughs> I love it. Disgusting. <laughs> so this is where we are in the South and why the industry has got yes. such amazing potential. potential. Because we're not going to let medical take over all the rights to be the first one into recreational. No, stay in your lane. You file your insurance. You bill people. You make doctors get their patients that they're not actually treating. They're just writing prescriptions for it's not necessarily the avenue to health and wellness because you don't get the education component behind it. Recreational, medicinal use, and recreational is where THC is. If it's medicinal use, there needs to be education behind it. And there's not in the medical programs right now. And for people that are medical, they will flip like that to rec. They want to get what they want, when they want, and they can get it at the same type of cost. Yes. I'm still taken back at how at how big the disconnect is. You know, we get to talking on these calls and communicating and we can get pretty technical and dive into the weeds or we show up at one of our industry events and it is pretty high level technical discussions. How do we really refocus or what are the efforts being made to refocus and really get more education to our consumers that are insanely disconnected still to the value of hemp? Such a great question and such an interesting, this is where it comes to finesse, not force. The reason it happens like that is we're regulated. We cannot, we will, our businesses will be shut down. Anything, if we say anything outside of regulations. This is where I came into the industry so prepared coming from pharmaceuticals. If it's not in your PI, the product insert, you don't say it. So we can't say anything about anti-inflammatory. I can show studies. We can say the story, but even then we are super regulated in what we can say. So it is very hard to get the direct education out there. Even physicians cannot legally, they're funded by pharmaceutical companies. Pharmaceutical companies pay for the college. They pay for the textbooks. They pay for the research. Mm -hmm. I was there. This is why there is a barrier to education. We cannot legally make any type of claims. So there's more and more and more research all the time. What we do is share studies. Another great collaboration has been with Dr. Bridget. We, I was a co-author in her book, Courage in Cannabis. She's been to our dispensary. We have conversations where people ask questions. And as a physician, she can say things. We need doctors. But she had to leave regular practice to be a cannabis doctor so she can do that. Any other doctor, no internal medicine, family practice, they can't even do it. A topical. You can't say put it on your skin. It's it's ridiculous. So those are some of the regulations. We don't use European studies in the United States. Another big barrier to the education component. So where real education comes from and the most powerful is word of mouth. People use it. People try. People know it works. It has saved so many people and so many people have gone to jail to give their family and loved ones access to cannabis that has helped them in one way or another. It is health and wellness. The stories are what really sell it and encourage people to try it. An alternative. People want 
now, I mean, like my mom and the seventies, the, the baby boomers right now, they were so in love with pharmaceuticals, but as they all are experiencing that in their old age, guess what? Some of the biggest consumers of cannabis are 65 and older. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So what about the nutritional side of like grain, right? I feel like this piece mm -hmm. is very little spoken about, right? We are not like how digestible it is and how nutritious it is and how it compares to you know, red meat or fish or what it's doing to the meat we're consuming or eggs we're consuming by feeding it to our animals. And speaking of doctor, Dr. Shannon Pratt Phillips is joining Morgan on Thursday to dive into this for animal feed because I'm with you. It's the physicians and the education and it speaks volumes when it's one thing for us to talk about it, right? It's another thing when you get a panel of doctors that are respected because of their title or because of their education in the pharmaceuticals or with the traditional medicine, and then mm -hmm. being able to see bridge that gap. But yeah, what about, what about that piece of this? So cool. I mean, superfood. So our franchise owner out of Athens, Georgia, his wife, is the small ruminant. She's a professor at UGA, University of Georgia, small ruminants, which is goats and sheep, which I have on my farm. So we dig deep into this whenever we talk. The number one use of hemp in Europe is for animal feed. These people get it through their eggs and meat and other ways without even knowing it. <laughs> Superfood. One, we did the nutritional analysis on our pasta. So one nest of Franny's fettuccine has 25 grams of protein, digestible and bioavailable. So you can get more in that one, more protein in one ounce that also has about that same amount in carbs than you can an entire like 10 ounce ribeye. Because the protein in meat is not as bioavailable and digestible for a lot of body types and systems. Some people can get more out of it. It is a, it goes through a different digestive process. So hemp superfood, it helps with gut inflammation. It was the most amazing experience that I did. You know, Rick out there did their, this was like five years ago when they did their sample, they did a documentary where all they ate was hemp seeds for a month. It's hysterical. But as a superfood, two tablespoons of hemp seeds will give you all the protein you need for a day. So I did this for a week. It also helps move your digestion. Yeah. So because of the fiber in it and the oils <laughs> in it, you look at your good and fat, good and bad fats. You also get your, all your good fats, which is what your brain is made up of. Mm -hmm. And let's face it. All our brains are overactive monkey minds. We need mm -hmm. to calm them. And that's what good fats do for your brain. Super important in development. It's so cool. This is where I talk to people too about even a cookie. I'm like, that cookie, just to let you know, has 12 grams of protein in it. Be, you know, it's a meal. You just sit on it. It's amazing. Oh, and oh, it's so exciting. We're going to okay. go so soon to that. We've got some really fun education and stuff. Awesome. What about pasta? This is this is an awesome awesome question. As celiacs has become such a common diagnosis and problem, and I just want to time out really quick. 
When I very first attended my very first hemp event, I met a doctor there that blew my mind (laughs) understanding autoimmune diseases in animals compared to humans and the way they're treated and how they're being treated and the effects that cannabis has on autoimmune diseases. So uh, I preach, and of course I can't say, you know, what these things do, but the impact that they have seen on treating celiac disease with cannabis has been mm-hmm. for me. So this is a- and for me personally, too. Yeah. I'm not celiac, but gluten intolerant. Mm-hmm. And when I did this hemp protein, hemp seed, and I did a hemp detox with cayenne lemon water and hemp for a month. And the amazing impact it made. So our gnocchi is gluten-free, all hemp flour. Hemp has no gluten in it. Our Franny's fettuccine and leaf linguine, however, are they have a combination of hemp flour and double O Italian flour that is made with no glyphosate. It's organic and it comes from Italy. Okay. I do not eat anything gluten, but I tried it. I mean, it was it was my Valentine's gift. Look, this Freddy's Franny's fettuccine. Yes. Oh, my love. It's amazing. It's interesting when I travel and when I'm in Europe, how I can eat bread. I can eat fresh baked bread, a lot of different things. If you look at glyphosate and chemicals that will kill any insect, bug, and everything on the plant, you think if we're ingesting that, it's killing all our living biome and our gut. That's our biggest issue. Zach Bush. Yes is one of the most pronounced, famous doctors that relates everything about our intestinal gut to glyphosate. You get most people can eat gluten if it doesn't. And you go back also to, we're almost out of time, but we don't have cattle or farm animals with celiac disease. Because if we did, could you imagine if a vet came in and said, hey, farmer, we need to put down half of your cattle because they have celiac disease. The farmer would shoot the the vet in the head. Like it would be the other way around because you can't do this. So we've figured out on this aspect, but we haven't in our own gut system. And so it excites me. It excites me that this is again, another kind of like the plastics. It just kind of gets under my skin that we have had a solution this whole time to avoid a lot of these health issues that are creeping up on us very rapidly and they're no longer a distant. It's not, I know someone that has it. It's, or I know somebody that knows somebody it's everybody knows somebody that's suffering from something related to our diet. And here we have an opportunity. Okay. So I want to jump one more before we have to jump, have to jump off of here, but I'm at Chandler and I want Chandler to get involved so bad with what we're doing. So I think what he has is a perfect question. He said, awesome. Thank you so much. I love hearing your story. I've been interested in the medical cannabis as a career for a while until I met Mandy in the cannabis convention in Utah. I'm currently in school and there is a lot and there isn't a whole lot of getting into hemp in the industry. You're right. There's not. In fact, Chandler, the students that I'm working with are at UVU. And so I should link you into their program and see if we can't collaborate. But wondering what advice or skills should he focus on to prepare him for a career in this industry? You're doing it right now. (laughs) It's got to be self-professed and propelled curiosity 
that makes you dig and dig and dig. Never believe what you hear. Not even a word I said, everything I said, go out and research it. Get form your own opinion. You have got to be solid fortitude of your own education and awareness. Ask, 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 research, research, research. This is become a leader because Chandler, the world needs you. If you're interested, you make it happen. Go Chandler, go Chandler. Yes. Find yes, a mentor. Yes. Find yes. a cannabis physician that will mentor you. That is where you're going to get a perspective. That Chandler, let's connect. I'm going to give you a book. I off, I purchased a whole bunch of these to give to students in Utah to open minds. And so I delivered 10 of them yesterday. So I would love to get you one. This is the book Franny was talking about, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, The Cannabis Bible. It has tons of facts and old information that we just don't talk about, that isn't being shared or that has been buried. And so Chandler, let's meet up this week and I would love to connect you. I'd also love to bring you along on some of our conversations where we talk about building infrastructure in Utah and what does it entail and what is needed on a big scale from farm, raw material processing, the whole supply chain, the government and policy and so forth. So let's definitely dive in. And then one more question before we jump off, Franny. Uh, Wayne, hi, thank you so much for joining us. How is the soil in North Carolina versus Florida? <laughs> it depends on where you are. In North Carolina, if you're south facing, you're a clay farmer. If you're north facing, you're a rock farmer. In Florida, you have more sandy soils. It's all about growing the right variety. That's why we did variety trials, the right variety for your environment. And there's amazing growers right now that help you align varieties with your soil types. I love it. Love it. As far as anybody else looking for resources, Franny, where I have a huge database, right? We're at about 500 hours of published interviews with different professionals. They're all tagged and searchable on our YouTube channel and in Hemp Hallway. But Franny, from your perspective, what advice do you give people? Where do they go to find information if they're looking to get into the industry outside of a mentor? Well, I use your podcast uh, all the time as references when people have questions. I mean, yeah. it's a great, great resource and it depends on what they're looking. But I think that you this is one reason this is so great that we're actually talking right here and not just a plug because we are talking but it is one of those resources because people can join that, join this type of community. And it's not just going and researching. They can engage. It's ongoing. It's relevant and it's current. And in an industry that's dynamic and changing every day, everybody needs a resource like what you are offering. So there's Global Hemp Association. There's some other trade associations that are very important, regardless of which state you live in. You always want to be involved in that. And NOCO, Morris's group for events has have been fabulous also as tools. He hosts multiple events throughout the U.S., but uh, NOCO in Colorado. And then this year in Nashville, she has gone back to Nashville, the Southern Hemp Expo. But talk about fabulous resources. Chandler, I will be traveling to multiple of those. So if you want to send me a text message, I'm happy to give you those dates. We could even potentially... No visit. Everybody visit. come to Nashville. Yeah. I'm going to be there too. That's my hometown. I'm so, I uh, we're there launching our, our pasta there. So you'll get a chance to try it. Um, <laughs> it's a, that's going to be a good time. 
But I, I definitely recommend in resources to find something that's like you, where the person is not invested in the industry. Let me tell you, you know, I've got, I offer a lot of things, but I'm not the resource because I'm building a brand. You want a nonprofit, you want an association that is giving current events. I always say, follow what headsets doing. So, you know, trends, there's some, that's what, that's what you do. Lancaster's podcast is really good too. Hemp podcast, Mm -hmm. Eric. Eric Hadlock's podcast is really, really good. Also, I'll send you over the link. Him and I were actually supposed to have an interview yesterday, but I got some bad news and couldn't get on. And so let's be sure to, I'll be sure to share that link with you. But if there are any other questions, please, you guys don't hesitate to reach out to either Franny or myself. Um, You can find my contact information anywhere on the website, but Mandy at globalhempassociation.org. I would love to help you. I would love to connect. It's my passion really is connecting the people and helping people grow their businesses. And so that's why we started this organization. I just didn't have any idea how big it would be or how passionate I would become about everything that hemp touches. It's not even about hemp. It's about this. We have a tool to impact every vertical. <laughs> and that's that's what fuels my fire is we've got this massive opportunity. So Franny, as we close up, how do people contact you? How do people reach out? The website. That is the beginning and the end of everything about how to try our products, learn about wholesale, learn about franchising, be introduced to our farm, our mission. So it's Franny with a Y and pharmacy is F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, put in the farm and pharmacy. Franny at Franny's Pharmacy. Dot com is that's my email. Y'all reach out. This is about collaborations. This is about moving the industry forward. Uh, we're on social media, YouTube. We've got an amazing YouTube channel, even where I've traveled to different farms in Cuba and so forth. So find us, connect, follow okay. us. Okay, one more thing. I want to give a shout out. We have t-shirts for sale, hemp t-shirts, moving hemp forward together. Franny, I would love to send you one. Chandler, I'll be sure to get you one as well. But please go to our friendsofhemp.org website and order one. 100% of the proceeds go to support our farm trials. We did national farm trials this year, our fiber variety trials in 10 states with 10 different varieties in each state. And then we'll scale that this next year so that we can I mean, our plan is huge. I'd love to dive into it more sometime. And in fact, maybe I'll bring Melissa on so we can dive into it and give an update about how our trials are going this year. It's been pretty impressive, but I would love your support. I would love to see you wearing the t-shirt moving hemp forward together because really that's what it's about. One more thing, Franny, I want to give you a huge shout out for your leadership in this industry. I love seeing a woman and focused on the collaboration. I think that's what we need to birth and industry, <laughs> as Jamie says. But just yesterday, I was incredibly proud. It brought tears to my eyes talking about the number of women that are leading large organizations within our industry and really making the move. And so I want to give a shout out to the ladies that have really taken the lead and to the men who have supported our growth. And so I just want to say thank you very much for everything that you're doing as well. And if you need anything, please don't hesitate to holler at us as well. Cool. Awesome being here. And we do. We need each other. (laughs) Absolutely. Other than that, we'll see you guys next time.